Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And I want to take you back today. A ways back, I realize year by year it seems further and further, back to when I was in college. And if I go back to that time... Um, when I was in, in college many, many years ago, um, as, as I was a part of a campus ministry called Reform University Fellowship, and my campus minister there's name was Justin Kendrick. You don't have to remember any of that. Um, but I was meeting with him one day. I was, so as part of this campus ministry, we were, it was the first year they had had it there. Um, I was one of two guys in the campus ministry, and there were like 12 girls. And so I got to meet with Justin a lot. And about three and a half, four months into that time, Justin looked at me. We were sitting at lunch one day, and he looked at me, and he said, Tim, I want to ask you to do something. I said, okay. He said, I want you to really consider to pray about, but I really want you to do it, uh, consider and pray about discipling some other um, young guys, some other students. Now, when Justin said that to me, all sorts of things started going off in my head, in my, uh, in my mind, just kind of from, from experiences I'd had. And I thought I, knew, I thought I knew what he meant by, I want you to disciple someone or, and disciple this group. Because in my mind, immediately where my mind went was, as I had grown up in the church, was I need to meet with some other guys and tell them everything I know about Jesus and, and talk, share all the knowledge that I have. I also then went to the reverse of that because I had also seen a reaction to that kind of approach and the reverse of that was, you just need to meet with some guys and hang out with them and never talk about anything important. And so when Justin asked me to do this, I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, you know, I really don't want to do that because I don't, and, I, and he said, well, okay, tell me, tell me why, why don't you want to do that? And I explained what I just said to you. These, I'd seen these two extremes. So Justin looked back at me as he's done many times in my life, things like this, but he looked back at me and he said, okay, so what you're saying is, what you're saying is you don't want to do what Jesus commanded you to do because you don't like the way other people have done it. Hmm. I didn't like what he said, (laughs) but I knew he was right. And the Spirit of God used Justin to convict me even in that moment that he was right. Because in essence, that's exactly what I was saying. And you know what's interesting? In his response to me, you know what he was doing? He was discipling me. He was teaching me what the Lord had commanded me. Remember discipleship? First place we, we see the wording um, as far as a, de- a declaration to the people of God is in the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Justin, even in this little conversation, was doing that with me. Now, we're coming off of Easter. 
Right? We've, been, we've been celebrating um, the, the resurrected Jesus, and we do that every Sunday, but during this season of the church year, we do that. And we're coming off of Easter, and, and in this time within where, where we see, you, know, you come out of Easter, um, the disciples now who Jesus had been with, and we're going to look at that in a minute, they're going out now to do this um, on their own. And so what we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks is discipleship. Now, if you've called on, you look back here and you're like, wait a minute, that's not what it says back there. It says we're talking about Jesus' plan for the world to know. What do you think Jesus' plan for the world to know is? Discipleship, all right? And so we're going to talk about that over the next seven weeks. And, and while we do so, we're going to look at, we're going to, uh, lately we've been going through different books of the Bible and going more verse by verse. Now in this series, we're going to jump around to some different passages um, and look at those over these next seven weeks to talk about different aspects of discipleship. Today, we're going to see how Jesus chose his disciples. All right? And we're going to do that by looking at uh, Luke chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 16, and then verses 20 through 23. And so I remind you as you go there, this is God's Word. Um, you can find it on the screen behind you, uh, and, or um, in, obviously in your Bibles. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And now verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now as we begin this, and just to give you a little bit more background, you may remember that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, he worked alone. Kind of. Sometimes we think that at the very beginning is when he chose the disciples. But actually at the beginning, he was working alone. His miracles were kind of isolated to a limited area. Um, his teaching was simple. But more and more people began to follow him, right? Remember as he's going through, people, the crowds begin to gather. They continue to follow. And as that happened, everyone, while he was on earth, as a, in his human form here on earth, everyone could not have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And so the other disciples, while still important, um, they, they were important. It didn't change that they were important. Many of them are still around as the, as the church grows um, in the book of Acts. But it came to a point that, that they, he needed to choose some who would be with him all the time. Right? And so that's what, that's what we come to here. They would see his ministry firsthand. And so he chose 12 that would be in this closest relationship. Mark uh, chapter 3 verse 13 says, this is the, that's the parallel passage in another gospel, says that he called those whom he desired. 
the ones he wanted to be in this close-knit um, apprenticeship-type relationship with Jesus. And one other important thing as we start here is that when you put all four gospel accounts together, written, they're, they're all four accounts of Jesus' life, written um, to give us a different perspective as, um, through, through each of the four of those. When you put the four of those together, we can determine that it was at least one year prior to the crucifixion that, that, that this event took place, that the disciples had come together and formed together. Uh, we know that because in John chapter 6, verse 4, we see this group is there together when Jesus feeds the 5,000, and that's right at Passover the year before. Passover happened, or the, the crucifixion and resurrection happened at that same time a year later. The reality is it's probably a few months before then, but I just want to make clear it's at least one year that they're in this close, intimate relationship with Jesus. But our question today, how did Jesus choose his disciples. And so as we think about being disciples of Jesus and entering into relationships where we are discipled and where we disciple others, there's some good thoughts in this passage and some good applications for us as we think about those things. So first, again, how did Jesus choose his disciples? We have two points. The first one is, kind of from the negative side, not as the world would choose. All right, first point, not as the world would choose. Look at verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Right before he chooses his disciples, he goes out and he prays, and he prays all night. Now, Jesus, let's go ahead and acknowledge Jesus was fully God, right? But he was also fully man. And in that humanity, he went out and he, and he prayed and he said, Lord, who are going to be my disciples? Who are going to follow me? What do we typically do? We typically do something a little more like, I like this person, this person, this person. And so, Lord, would you please, we pray real quick, Lord, would you please bless this? But Jesus went out and prayed before he chose his disciples. He also chose these guys. These guys. Let's look at these guys for a minute. I'm beginning in verse 13 again. Um, well, I won't read the list of names again. I just did a moment ago, but you see them in verses 13 through 16. Here's what I want to tell you about these guys. They brought no excellence of their own. None. We see later in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit has come, um, John and Peter, Peter and John are, are out teaching and preaching. And, and you know, you remember what it says there? It says the people around, these are the, the well-known guys. These are the guys that, that, uh, of this list of disciples that everybody knows, right? Peter and John. And here's what it says about them. And when they perceived, well, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, Common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now again, overall, these were not impressive men, all right? They made up the average cross-section of their society. You had fishermen, tax collector, a melancholy twin, and that was Thomas. His, his other twin wasn't even there, <laughs> You had one who's described as the lesser, 
James and Lester, how would you like that to be your description? Right? You had um, one who's described with three different names. I don't know if it was an identity crisis. I think it was language. But three, he's called by three different names throughout it. Right? So, so you, you have all this going on. And these guys didn't occupy any prominent place in the local synagogue. They didn't belong to the Levitical priesthood. They, they were mostly just common men with no professional training beyond what they needed for their jobs. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have academic degrees of art or the philosophies of the day. There was one of them that came from more of a refined area of culture and society. You know who that was? Judas Iscariot. He was the betrayer. They were impulsive. They were temperamental. They were easily offended. And they had all the prejudices of their environment around them. They often made mistakes in judgment. And you know they were slow to comprehend spiritual things. Remember what Mark 3 said, though. And Jesus called those whom he desired to himself after a night of prayer. These are the ones he desired. We look at these guys and we're like, really? Well, they kind of looked at each other that way too. They were a challenge to one another. They they were challenging to one another. One example of this was, was with the disciple Simon, who was described as a zealot. That's not Simon who was also called Peter. That is Simon who was described as the zealot. Do you know how many other times we see him in Scripture other than in the list of the disciples? Somebody guess out loud. Zero. Zero. But we actually know a good bit about him because of the name. See, the, the word zealot here is the Greek word, I mean, it's clear, zelotes. Okay, it comes from that, right? You know what that indicated? It indicated that, that Simon the Zealot was with the uprising of Judas the Galilean 15 years prior to Jesus starting his ministry. All right, so he had been with a guy who was going against the Roman, the Roman government, a guy who was going against the taxing that had been happening, a guy who was with this uproar that, that was going about by, by um, they, they were going to war basically with weapons and things, trying to have an uprising against the Roman government that was occupying them. And they said, our only master, I mean, we will only serve um, our Lord and our God, right? But they did it in a way that wasn't what God had intended. And so that uprising had been squelched. Judas was killed. Again, this is not any of the Judases listed here um, in the list of disciples, but that Judas was killed. And now you got this guy, Simon the Zealot, and now he's one of Jesus' followers. Do you see how that could be a challenge to the other guys around them? Uh, Jesus, don't you think they're going to be watching us a little closer if this dude's with us? Political suspicion, political concern. Don't you think they might be paying a little more attention? Now this guy, Simon the Zealot, after following the person who was not doing it the right way at all, now though, he was following the one who said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
And maybe he was prone to some of these things, to following groups like this. (laughs) But as he followed them, eventually he would understand. They were also challenging the way Jesus chose his disciples, not as the world would choose. It was challenging to the worldly way of thinking. And so I want to pause just a minute, though. Because what I've described so far um, is a bunch of people that don't really fit with most of us in this room. And what I mean by that is we're sitting here in one of the most affluent counties in the country, right, with one of the most educated counties in the country. And so we read something like this, and it's like, uh, so what does that mean for us? (laughs) Well, I do want to call out that God did call Saul of Tarsus, all right, who became Paul, right, whose name was indicated as Paul. He called him, right? What do we know about Saul? Paul. Well, he was a wise and learned man. He did have all the benefits of being part of, of being a Roman citizen. He also was taught by Gamaliel, who we're told in Acts chapter 5 was a wise man and held in honor by all. And so he was educated. He was wise in the world's eyes. He was the religious guy, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, And he came. But don't forget how he came. Because you remember what had to happen to him first to get his attention? It wasn't until after he had been humbled and acknowledged that all his own efforts to make himself right with God were nothing more than filthy rags. The main ones to come to Jesus here were those who were the most humble. Even among those that were set apart as the twelve. Right, You got the first few guys that we all know, uh, Peter, James, John, and Matthew are known. But what do you actually know about James the lesser? Or Judas the son of James, not the betrayer? Or what did you know about Simon the zealot before I told you a minute ago? I didn't know it until I was studying a while back. <laughs> we don't know a lot about them, but that's, that was never the point. It wasn't the point that they would be known. The point, the point was hard for them to get. You heard them. They argued about, you you hear them as you read through Scripture. They argue about who's the greatest. They argue about um, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand. They're, They're constantly jockeying for position, trying to figure these things out. And it really wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead and gave them a new perspective as he opened their eyes and explained all that had happened to them in the context of his resurrection, that they began to understand. And that leads us to our second point when considering how did Jesus choose disciples. The second point is that they were chosen with the kingdom in mind. Now, we are discipling all the time. Right? And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're in the church, we say disciple, we say discipleship, and we think, well, disciple, that, that means being a follower of Jesus, that sort of thing. and that's true within the church context, within the biblical context, but we disciple people and stuff all the time. I know that I have done a great job in my life discipling my three boys to love baseball and to love the Atlanta Braves. That is obvious. But in biblical discipleship, 
And I pray I've done this in some way with my own children as well because we're called to this as parents. We're called to this as a church family with our students and our children. Biblical discipleship is chosen with the kingdom in mind. It's said a different way. It's chosen with this in mind. To be witnesses to who Jesus is and witnesses to what he has done, is doing, and will do. We are to be witnesses to who Jesus is, what he's done, what he will do. Remember as we've gone through uh, the last few weeks, you know, we had Palm Sunday, we had Good Friday, and we have Easter. We've said multiple times through that, that the disciples and those around didn't fully understand what Jesus had come to do. Because they did not understand what Jesus came to do, they, they misunderstood Jesus' last journey into Jerusalem, what was going on there. They thought that Jesus was coming for an uprising and to take control. And while that's true, that he will take control eventually, what they didn't understand, could not grasp, was the fact that the victory Jesus would win over sin and Satan and death and all the enemies of righteousness and joy, that victory would be won through his own horrible suffering and death. And they didn't understand that the fulfillment of the kingdom they thought was coming immediately would not see full fruition for thousands of years. And because of all that, they misunderstood discipleship. That's why they continued to have visions of greatness. They would argue about who would be the greatest. And, and if that had remained their understanding and approach, and that's how they started the church, it would have produced some Christians who really did not look much like Jesus had called them to. Instead, it would have produced the wrong attitude for a disciple. It might have looked something like this. I'm going to give you a few examples. Again, this is, this is the wrong attitude for a disciple, just to clarify. Blessed are the entitled, for they get their way. Blessed are the carefree, for they are comfortable. Blessed are the pushy, for they win. Blessed are the self-righteous, for they need nothing. Blessed are the vengeful, for they will be feared. Blessed are those who don't get caught, for they look good. Blessed are the argumentative, for they get in the last word. Blessed are the winners, for they get their way. That's not original to me. Um, a guy named Ray Ortland wrote that um, if you want to know where, I'll tell you later. Um, but my point in this is if our understanding of the kingdom and discipleship is as the disciples started with, that's what it would look like. And I would dare say that too often in the church as a whole, it might look closer to that than we want to admit. But we've already seen that the disciples' way of thinking is not what God has called his people to. 
Just after choosing the disciples in this passage, we see that Jesus shows them and the larger group of followers that his kingdom is to look different. And they don't quite get it at this point, but, but it's important for us to look at it because they do get it eventually, and, and we need to see this as well. We see it in verses 20 through 23. This is the attitude that discipleship requires. Look at it with me. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. What is Jesus showing them here? Jesus is showing them that They have a great need for him. To be a follower of Jesus, they must be humble before him. They must understand their need before him. They must submit to the things that he says they need, the things he shows them are good and right. And he's showing them. It has absolutely nothing to do with being considered great in this world. It has nothing to do with gaining the approval of other people in this world. He tells them they might be poor, they might be hungry, they might weep and mourn, they might be hated and excluded and reviled and scorned for the name of Jesus, but the name of Jesus in and through their lives demonstrated to others is what it's all about to be witnesses to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. Commenting on this idea, pastor and theologian John Piper says, the question to every believer is this, does discipleship mean deploying God's missiles against the enemy in righteous indignation? Or does discipleship mean following him on the Calvary road which leads to suffering and death. The whole of God's word says this, Jesus the Messiah came to live a life of sacrificial, dying service before he comes a second time to reign in glory. The surprise about discipleship is this, is that yes, by his grace... We will reign with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. By his grace, we will demonstrate some of what that will look like. But that means we have to submit to him here. We have to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit to change us and to teach us to obey and follow him. We have to submit to his conviction of our sin and repent of it. And turn to him over and over again. And it demands a life that dies to what we think is important often. And demands sacrificial dying service to Jesus. And what he says is good for us.
And it demands us to say, this is the most important. And it takes time. It's a lifelong journey to walk with Jesus, to grow in him. We want to see it in others really fast. Partly because we love them. Partly because we can accomplish more. Some of us like to just get things done, right? We want to see it in ourselves. Lord, I don't want to keep battling with this. Take it away. And sometimes Jesus says, learn to walk with me through it. Your elders here at the church, um, in talking about discipleship, you know, you know our, our vision is to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through the three loves missions, loving God, loving each other, and loving um, the community. And how, did, how does that come about? Ultimately, it's God, by his spirit, that disciples us, right? But the way he says he's going to do that is through his people spending time with one another and helping each other obey all that the Lord has commanded. And that is what grows followers of Jesus to be conformed into the image of Christ. We want to see that. I want to see it in my life. If I look at you and say I'm done growing, I'm no longer fit to be one of your pastors. But I want to see it in your life too. Pastor John, our elders, we want to see it in your life too. We want to see you growing in marriages. We want to see you growing in in how you love and care for your children. We want to see you growing and walking through things um, in this life. And so today... But come all the way back around to where I began. How does Jesus, how did he choose his disciples? Where did he start? Well, he went away and he prayed. He prayed. He didn't say, that's my group, now Lord bless it. He said, Lord, who do you want me to disciple. Or maybe in our case, Lord, who do I need to be discipled by? And so a follow-up question here, my question to you is, are you willing to pray about who to disciple and who to be discipled by? But a follow-up question to that, that kind of gets a little more to the heart, is are you willing to disciple or be discipled by whomever the Lord leads you to? Even if you look at them and don't think they can help you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be to disciple or be discipled by someone that you wouldn't normally hang out with in a social setting? And so when I ask you, are you willing to pray? I know that's kind of a dangerous prayer. Because if the Lord leads you to somebody you wouldn't normally hang out with, it gets kind of uncomfortable, right? And yet I want to ask you to pray it. I ask you to take a moment. And as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, maybe you're wrestling with it right now even as I'm talking about this. And so maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, change me, help me submit 
to what you're showing me is good. And then you can pray about who these people might be. Let's spend a few moments in prayer, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.